The views and opinions expressed by hosts, invited speakers, and callers do not necessarily reflect the views and opinions of the Black Talk Media Project or the Black Talk Radio Network. Let your wise rise up, see the signs of the times, if it's time, rise up, rise up. When death and hell dwell among all God's people, when those we chose and trusted have become completely corrupted and inherently evil, when the beast that feeds you starves our father's children, when snuff porn and pedo forms begin to get top billing, rise up. Peace and welcome to New Abolitionist Radio, a program that seeks to educate, inform, and agitate on the issue of 21st century slavery. Hosted by social activist and spoken word poet Max Parthas, with New Abolitionist and Actionist Johanan Elia, and Black Talk Media Project founder Scotty Reed. On this program, we discuss recent news on legalized 21st century slavery and human trafficking, along with projects and people who help combat it. Today is November 25th, 2015. Thanks for joining us this evening for news, information, and commentary concerning legalized slavery and human trafficking. Due to unforeseen circumstances, as you guys know, our America is Ferguson series will continue this week. The fraud of the Congressional 13th Amendment commemoration. Tonight, our top story will be the continued fraud of the U.S. Congress commemorating the passage of the 13th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution that, despite popular myths, did not abolish slavery and human trafficking associated with the slave trade. House Speaker Paul Ryan announced via his website that on Wednesday, December 9th, congressional leaders will commemorate the 150th anniversary of the ratification of the 13th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution which formally, but not actually, abolished slavery in the United States. As Chicago marches to demand fundamental changes in the city and an end to systemic police criminality after the video of Laquan McDonald being murdered by Chicago police thug Jason Van Dyke, another story that was reported here on New Abolitionist Radio earlier this year is gaining attention again. A Burger King district manager is once again telling the media that after McDonald was killed in the street near one of the restaurants, four to five cops came in and asked to see footage captured on store cameras, and after they left, they deleted all the files. An hour of footage was lost showing the execution. There is no known investigation into the conspiracy to cover up the murder of a 17-year-old teenager. Will the feds finally start tracking the true number of people killed or shot by police in the United States, considering U.S. Attorney General Loretta Lynch's recent rejection of required police, requiring police to report shootings to the feds? Many activists remain skeptical. A sheriff blames jail overcrowding on the for-profit prison and jail industry. And also... This week's writer of the 21st Century Underground Railroad is Donald Eugene Gates, a man who spent 27 years in jail after being wrongly convicted of a crime he did not commit. Our abolitionist in profile tonight is evangelist, 
abolitionist and feminist Sojourner Truth, 1797 to 1883. You can expect all of that and more tonight on New Abolitionist Radio. You can find archived podcasts at newabolitionistsradio.blogspot.com. So by calling us at 1-641-715-3660 and the extension is 549-032-POUND. Just press star 6 and 1 to queue up from the comps line. What's happening, Scotty? What's up, Johanan? Peace, brother. Peace to all can you guys hear me? Peace, peace, yeah, man. I yeah, I can hear you, me, but Johanan's coming in real low. Johanna? Yeah, he does sound pretty low. Yeah, I can hear you. You're a little low, but I can hear you. Okay. Yeah, man, my life has been like the uh, Ulysses' saga over here. (laughs) It's been crazy, brother. Like on so many levels, dude, so many levels. How's Sister Tribal Rain progressing in her recovery? You know uh, she's recovering. She's getting a lot around a lot on a. She got to use a walker, you know, where to pull her stuff around and sit down when necessary. But she's partially paralyzed on her left side now. So we're hoping we can get past that and that she'll recover from it. Um, so it's been a little rough dealing with that in the middle of a move from one place to another after being uh, losing our house to an act of God, the thousand-year flood. I had some seriously weird experiences over the past week, too, when it comes to slavery and human trafficking as well, man. Uh, I don't even know if I have enough time on the show to be talking about it all, but I'll keep it uh, brief. You know, I did a abolitionist workshop in Colombia just recently. Uh, as a matter of fact, the day after my wife had a stroke, she told me, go take care of this and leave the hospital and do it. So I was like, okay, I'll do it. So I went. They had a couple of prosecutors there, uh, some leaders in the industries, uh, local leaders and students. They had someone from the military there, the military police there, to hear what I had to say. I was totally unprepared because, uh, you know, my wife had just had a stroke, so I didn't put together my presentation as I wanted it, and I just freestyled it, and we talked. At the end of it all, everybody became abolitionists, including the prosecutors, Uh, As a matter of fact, one of them will be on the program next week to talk about it. One thing she said that blew my mind, though, uh, this prosecutor who is a, uh, she handles sex cases, sexual crimes. She told me that she looked through my file. I have a file an inch thick in South Carolina, and she knows everything there is to know about me. Been seeing pictures of me as a kid, uh, told me that, uh, she saw all these videos that I probably don't even know I have, meaning that they recorded me and they have it on their files. She says she's read all my articles and that they list me as a radical and a rabble rouser. Now, a radical is a very dangerous thing to be called these days, you know, because that's what they call the terrorist. But the thing that blew my mind is why was she even looking in my file? You're not a prosecutor having anything to do with this. You're, you're in sex crimes. How did you get access to my files? To be able to sit down for all of that time and look through them. That kind of blew my mind. I really don't know what to say to that. Um, Not that it's a conversation I want to have publicly. We already discussed that. But, um, yeah. And, um, you know, I'm not concerned about Well, she'll be in soon and we'll find out. I'm not concerned about being (coughs) on a list. I'm sure I am on a list. 
you know, as long as um, I've been publicly, you know, uh, broadcasting uh, radio programs and airing my own views. And when you start talking about slavery was never abolished and that, you know, the United States is still practicing slavery, uh, you're bound to, uh, you know, um, end up on somebody's list. So, you know, I don't care. <laughs> I got them on my, I got my own list. You know what I'm saying? That I'm keeping. <laughs> so, there you go. Yeah. Yeah, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. Well, she'll be on here uh, soon and we'll ask her. I'll ask her in the air. Just, you know, how, why was she looking through my files? I like, who gave you access to that? Uh, was that something that you were informed to do? I'd like to know. You know, they said um, in the, in one of the, one of the Mumia documentaries, they talked about how they had a file on him from when he was a, a little kid in, in uh, single digits, coming up through 13, 14 years old. So, I mean, it just is what it is, man. Yeah. I, I, I mean, this, this shouldn't yep. be surprising to anyone. You know, even now, you know, the Black Lives Matter, um, different um, chapters and whatnot um, have filed lawsuits, you know, for uh, because of police surveilling them, you know, surveilling them on the streets, surveilling them on social media. So, you know, I mean, I, I, that kind of stuff don't even concern me. It don't concern me, man. It, it, if I'm on the list, that means I'm doing a good damn job. That's the way I look at it. And I do, I, I'm a proud rabble rouse. Well, yeah. I, <laughs> Again, it's not that I'm on the list. I've been on the list for a long time. I know that. My theme song is literally FBI filed by Corporate Avengers. So I, I knew that. My problem is I'm trying to figure out why this prosecutor who handles sex crimes well, spent might be all this time you need looking to ask through my her personally. That and might, who gave her access to it. Yeah, that might need yeah. to be a conversation you have yes. with her in private. I don't think, you know, she'll be comfortable answering those questions on, on the radio station. So, um, yeah, that's something I would ask her privately. Um, I ain't got nothing to hide. Yeah, but, you know, if she's coming on here to talk about abolitionism and, and you know what I'm saying, um, you know, I mean, but do what, yeah. you, what you like. <laughs> she asked way, me I'm how cool. could she incorporate abolitionism into what she does every day. Quit her job. And, you know, I was a little taken aback by the question. <laughs> yeah, that that was my first thing that came in my mind. But I, I tried to keep it civil, and I said, how about letting people go to trial instead of continually shoving plea bargains down innocent people's throats? How about that? You know, let them go to trial once in a while. How She's about not even prosecuting them for nonviolent so-called drug offenses? We've seen that happen. You know, Ken Thompson up there in New York, he told them cops stop bringing him that little petty, you know, stuff and whatnot. How about that? How about, you know, uh, you not prosecute people over unjust laws and whatnot? How about you quit your job and we got a job for you? Uh, we want to start a legal foundation that's going to sue these cities and police departments on RICO charges in a civil suit. How about that? Amen to that. Well, you know, there was also the uh, a military uh, police there who uh, works with the military police high up in the ranks. And she also attested that she's now an abolitionist and wants to gather together professionals from her industry to speak about this situation as she knows it now based on what we spoke of. Hey, did you I didn't tell them anything they didn't know. I just put the pieces together. 
Did she know and did you tell them that a million vets are locked up right now? Majority Indeed, of them, I at did, least. and I, I think that's what pushed her over the edge. I mean, at least I according to my research, her edge when I told her about that. Yeah, five hundred thousand. I estimate, and that's probably a low estimate, are in there over non-violent so-called drug crimes. So, you know, yeah, that's how they treating vets these days. So, anyway, yeah, it's, it's some seriously strange events going on one after the other. You know, and, and the other thing that happened is, you know, the birth of my, my latest granddaughter, so all this is happening to me simultaneously. <clears throat> and I was in the hospital with my daughter while she was giving birth. And I went downstairs, uh, and on the way downstairs to uh, go out and have a smoke while they were giving my daughter the epidural, I noticed that maybe three quarters of the employees were African American or uh, people of color. And I get down to the emergency room at this place in Columbia where three quarters of the population is white. And I look around the room in the emergency room, and everybody in the emergency room is black or African-American. Uh, everybody. The only white person in there was a cop. So I was a little taken aback. I'm like, why is it only black people here? It's three-quarters white in this whole state, you know? So I asked the woman at the desk, and she hit me with some serious proxy racism. Uh, I'm like, you know, why does this anomaly exist? What do you think? You're here every day. Could you tell me why you think it's only black people in this hospital? And she told me it's because they exploit the system. Most of them are on welfare, and they come in for every little frivolous thing all the time. And I was like, what? And this was from a person of color saying this. And I stopped and I looked around the room. I didn't see anybody that looked like they might be on welfare or looked like they were in poverty or there for frivolous things. Many of them looked like they were well-dressed professionals. It kind of blew my mind that that would come out of her mouth. And that was a, a heck of an experience. I just kind of shook my head and thanked her for saying what she said. And then I went out and had my smoke. I wasn't there to, you know, teach her about proxy racism. I was there to see the birth of my granddaughter. Little Max, by the way. So do we want to go ahead and get started with the program and jump into our first story? sounds like it sounds like we're about 15 minutes in so we're right on time our first story there's a there's a weird echo going on is that me somehow scotty um it, it, it could be i don't know what that is um, all right um well tonight we uh start off i guess with the com commemoration of the 13th amendment would you like to lead the way on that because i'm sure you've spoken of it already yeah i actually uh targeted the representatives on twitter that were uh, named in, in this uh, this garbage. If you give me just a second, and uh, so I can open up the page, so I can get to the links. But uh, Speaker, newly uh, anointed Speaker of the House, Paul Ryan, uh, he has a website. I guess it's for you know whoever is going to be the Speaker of the House. It's not his personal page, or, or I didn't get that. But uh, let me just open up that. Um, link um congress is going to mark the 150th anniversary of the 13th amendment of course you've already read an excerpt to that and um i just simply you know this is a fraud man this is a fraud every chance i get almost every chance i get if it's on my mind 
and I talk about the fraud of the 13th Amendment. You know, old Frederick Douglass, he said that, you know, the Emancipation Proclamation was a stupendous fraud and whatnot. And, uh, but 13th Amendment, I think, won up the uh, Emancipation Proclamation. And um, so this is what they published, what he published on his press office published uh, just last week. Says on Wednesday, December the 9th, congressional leaders will commemorate the 150th anniversary of the ratification of the 13th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution, which formally abolished slavery in the United States. Okay, so he's, you know, just repeating the myth, repeating a lie. House Speaker Paul Ryan, a Republican out of Wisconsin, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell, a Republican out of Kentucky, Senate Democratic Leader Harry Reid, a Democrat out of Nevada, and House Democratic Leader Nancy Pelosi, a Democrat out of California, will take part in the Emancipation Hall ceremony. Now, this isn't a very long post, but just pay attention to the words. The 13th Amendment, this is what he wrote, or whoever wrote it. The 13th Amendment declared that neither slavery nor involuntary servitude shall exist within the United States or any place subject to its jur jurisdiction. It was passed by the U.S. Congress on January the 31st, 1865, and achieved ratification on December 6th of that same year. The 13th Amendment was the first of three Reconstruction Amendments adopted after the Civil War. The ceremony will take place on, again, Wednesday, December the 9th at 11 a.m. Eastern Time. Now, I asked people in our group, um, not many did, but, you know, hell, all I can do is ask. But I, all I had to do is, but we did have a couple of them, and I told them to, you know, let's hit up the comments section of this garbage and express to them that we know that the 13th Amendment did no such thing as abolish slavery. And why would they, you know, and they know that they're lying. This is how you know they're lying. The 13th Amendment is two different sections to the 13th Amendment, but the section one part of the 13th Amendment, how many sentences is it? Maybe one long sentence or maybe it's two sentences, but I think it's one long sentence. Now, this is what the 13th Amendment actually says. Neither slavery nor involuntary servitude except as a punishment for crime whereof the party shall have been duly convicted shall exist within the United States or any place subject to their jurisdiction. Now let me read what he wrote again on his on his uh, on the speaker.gov website. The 13th Amendment declare that neither slavery nor involuntary servitude shall exist within the United States or any place subject to its jurisdiction. So you took out, you purposely took out the entire middle section of that sentence. That tells me you know for a fact that slavery was never abolished and you're just promoting this myth and these lies or else why would you not post the entire 13th Amendment. This is only two sections which are each about a sentence long. So these people are frauds, man. And I let them know via our new abolitionist radio Twitter account. I tweeted at each and every last one of them. And I wrote in the comments section along with a couple of other people uh, that, you know, we know that this is bullshit. I'm, excuse my language. But I'm, I'm getting angry now. Because, see, they, they know what they're doing. 
This isn't an oversight. He didn't just forget to put the exception clause in there. They know exactly what is going on, and they want to keep this myth going with this 150th commemoration of the ratification of the 13th Amendment, which did not abolish slavery. I'm sorry, guys, for getting emotional there. You know, I, I looked up other government uh, pages that has the 13th Amendment on it, and they do the same thing there. Even when they brought the 13th Amendment out for examination, the curator skipped over that part, too. Everybody tends to skip that part as if it does not exist. Whatever promotions or t things they say about it, they never mention the exception clause in it. So I just put another link up uh, that talks about the three reconstructive acts, and basically it's the same thing there in their quotes that he said, where they skip the exception clause. It ain't but two damn lines long. Why the hell would people keep skipping it? Uh, particularly Congress, who has the power to change it. Johanna, you got any thoughts, man? Because uh, I could ramble this on, This is 150 man. years of deception. Man, it's the same story as it's been. You know, I'm about like you, Scotty. I'm sitting here. You know, you said the words I was thinking. I don't want to get into my custom tirade. I mean, it is what it is. We already know what they do. So we just basically, right now, uh, documenting yet another time that they've gone ahead and lied and misrepresented the truth to the people and, and participated in the, taking control of the narratives to change the reality with a trignology and they, they, uh, what do you call it, new speak. So, I mean, that's the best we could do right now is just document yet another time that they did the same thing they've been doing and they're not going to stop doing it until we hold them accountable. So we know that they hear our message, they hear the new abolitionist radio broadcast because it don't take long before they begin to adopt whatever it is that we discuss on the program into their own personal, all of a sudden they become champions for justice or something by taking bits and pieces of what we say and trying to present that to the people like they're going to fix the problem with doing half of what we said do. So pretty soon we'll hear somebody comment or correct this. I, I, I can predict that. Somebody's going to make a correction to the statement and say, well, we do realize that the statement says and that the 13th Amendment says this, this, and this, because they hear us talking about it, and they know that the message is getting out there, so they shouldn't have lied. And especially Mitch McConnell's lying ass. Why is he involved? We still ain't found out why his family got a, got a uh, transport uh, freighter with coke on it. He ain't had the answer for that in not one day. Yeah, like, what was it, 90 tons of cocaine? On his father-in-law's boat, but yeah, I don't I'm, know if it was quite that much. This, uh, three weeks. Right. Yeah, I don't. I don't know how much it was, but uh, but yeah, it was on his family, like listed in his family's name. They found, and if they told you how much they found, it was it was ten times more than what they told you. So yeah, they run a shipping company. So this is like a commercial freighter. Uh, that this coat was found in Colombia. Uh, uh, yeah, docked in a port in Colombia. And, of course, you know, his family um, is rich. He married into some money and whatnot. And, and as Max stated, you know, his father-in-law is the owner of that company. They got busted with uh, tons of cocaine on it. So, you know, again, uh, um, and, and that's just one ship. How long you think they've been doing it? You think that was a first-time only deal, you know? No, I, I seriously doubt that. But see, the people who are doing the, the most smuggling of the drugs into this country, 
uh, they are not the ones that's being relegated to 21st century slavery and human trafficking. And the cows, the context of white supremacy, which is a radio program on Black Talk Radio Network, um, or I should say a radio station that's on our uh, platform, um, they were doing a book review, uh, excuse me, a book study session on uh, Benjamin Tillman, the South Carolina senator uh, who was a terrorist, admitted terrorist. Uh, um, some of his men assassinated a black congressman uh, in South Carolina back then. But the name of the book is, is called The Reconstruction of White Supremacy. And that is whenever I start hearing these people talk about talking about the 13th Amendment was a reconstructive act, as he said, yeah, what you did was reconstructed slavery into a new form called prison slavery. So that's whenever I hear them talk about reconstruction era, that was the reconstruction of white supremacy after the Civil War, the reconstruction of slavery through the 13th Amendment. You know, in this other article that I have here, which has a picture of the 13th Amendment and then the breakdown of what it is, they even tell you what the specific words mean. Like involuntary servitude equals forced labor. Duly equals properly according to law. Convicted equals found guilty by a court. Jurisdiction equals authority. Enforce Make sure it is obeyed. So when they say Congress shall have the power to enforce this article by appropriate legislation, their intention was to make sure that it continues to make sure that it's obeyed. And finally, legislation equals laws. Right. The black codes. They know codes. exactly what they were doing. The As black codes. The drug codes. They did not reconstruct the country. They, re they reconstructed white supremacy. They put it back in power. It was never out of power. <laughs> I mean, come on. The uh, federal government has always been a, 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 a white supremacist entity. And, and Abraham Lincoln was a known white supremacist. That's no secret that he was a white supremacist. And, you know, it, if anybody pushed for the Civil War, it was the abolitionists. It was the enslaved Africans themselves. That, it was coming to a head, man. John Brown was riding roughshod over these slavers and putting the broadswords through their backs. And, and, and you know, they something, it came to a head. And I'm wondering, you know, when is this going to come? When is this era going to come to a head when we say we are no longer going to tolerate you practicing slavery and human trafficking? There are more people in prison today than there ever were on plantations throughout the United States prior to 1865. And it's shameful, man. It's just shameful. And, and of course, I shouldn't be shocked. I'm not shocked that politicians telling lies. That's what they do. All right. But right. I, I wish right. I had the money. I wish I had it in the budget that I could, you know, send a film crew or go myself to this commemoration that's going to be on December the 9th at 11 a.m. Eastern time in the Emancipation Hall in Congress. So I can call them out on their freaking lives. If I could get there, I will. Trust me. Yeah, I would certainly like to be there. Yeah, as everyone knows, a lot of what we talk about is uh, we use this 13th Amendment as our smoking gun because it says right there, except for prisoners duly convicted. 
and how you can say abolished and accept in the same sentence is an oxymoron. <laughs> I mean, you can't have both of those in the same sentence at the same time. Abolished means completely ended forevermore, no more, period. Except means except for this, which uh, effectively uh, takes away the abolition part. We got to do the smoking something. gun right there. If well, I mean, we got to do slavery something. Slavery was abolished. Man. You tell them go read the Thirteenth Amendment. We got to do something. Like, we got over two thousand people in that group moved to abolish twenty-first century slavery. We got to do something, even if it's just online. We got to do something to target these people through social media, their social media accounts. Maybe we should start a petition denouncing this commemoration of the 13th Amendment and call it a stupendous fraud, to borrow the words from Frederick Douglass. We got to do something, man. We just can't let them have this little commemoration promoting a myth that they like they've abolished slavery. What is the hell they patting themselves on the back for? Yeah, you got uh, 2.5 million people in prisons and jails right now with 24 million people going through all the prison systems, probation, parole, jail every freaking year. The largest prison population in history of the world on the planet right now got the nerve to talk about how you abolish slavery. Mm. Well, the 13th Amendment, 150 years, the great deception. All right, well, we're coming up on our first break. When we come back, we're going to get into our Chicago story. You're listening to New Abolitionist Radio here on blacktalkradionetwork.com. We'll be right back after these messages. tuned in to the Black Talk Radio Network. For podcasts and live program scheduling, visit us on the web at blacktalkradionetwork.com. Peace and welcome back to New Abolitionist Radio. Uh, As I mentioned earlier, I've been out of the loop. Uh, I've been involved in a lot of personal issues that I'm dealing with, so I haven't really been keeping up to date on all the news, including the Chicago story. Uh, I've been seeing it as it's going by, but I haven't taken it in as you fellows has. So, uh, Johanna, do you want to take the Chicago story and tell us what's going on right now? Well, it's a story that uh, we already know and understand. It's what it's par for the course. It's standard for what goes on in America behind these enemy lines, as Scotty says, in this domestic colony known as the United Snakes of America. It's what they do here, man. They shoot and kill and murder us. They sit up here and don't even bring it to any kind of any kind of uh, review or no oversight, no kind of a judicial uh, uh, statement or commentary is made whatsoever. The people just left in the lurch for you know twelve to fifteen, eighteen, twenty months in most cases, just like we're right now. This young brother was shot and killed last October. So, you know, the law enforcement has gone ahead and kept this under their hat for all that time. They've had the video. 
So it's just like all the rest of these. And, I mean, when I talk about video, I'm always reminded of, I mean, a case like, say, Rodney King, for example, which was on video, which came out the same day, and, you know, within days after it happened, everybody got to see the, the video of it. It still didn't do a damn thing to affect the outcome of the case. So when they hold the video back like this for months and years at a time, John Crawford comes to mind. Held back that video. That's Walmart security footage held back. You know, the same thing like right now. They held back the video footage of the killing of this young brother. And now we got a story that uh, Sean King posted that was a, a local news broadcast, I believe, that was saying that Burger King came out and said that uh, the police came immediately after the shooting, after the murder, the massacre, Bur uh, police came, Chicago police came into the Burger King, went back, grabbed the surveillance uh, video, deleted 85 minutes of the coverage of what happened, and walked out like, you know, so the same Burger King that uh, Dylan Roof was taken to when he massacred nine church-going black folks that sat there and served, uh, served in church service right there with him for however long before he just decided to get up and go and kill them all. Cops, I mean, they never denied that they took this man to go get something to eat from Burger King. Well, here's the, the flip side. We're a 17-year-old kid. Then now they want to say, you know, well, he had PCP in his bloodstream, so that justifies killing him? Because we know what they said with Jamie Powell. They said he had a knife, and he was coming at the police with it. Then we saw the video, and he had his hands in his pockets. So they've told us that this young brother had a knife, and they told us that he supposedly uh, uh, slashed uh, a tire on one of the cop cars, and he was found with PCP in his system after he was he was shot. But the fact of the matter is this man was shot 16 times in his chest and man, in his back. And the final shot, according to the video, the final shot, the cop walked up directly over him and shot him in the head one last time. I mean, this So guy, we're, looking at this thing, we're looking at the same thing as what we've seen again and again and again. And I've seen black folks get more excited about goddamn Patty LaBelle sweet potato pie then a thousand plus murders extrajudicial murders of people all year long we've been telling you plus all the mass shootings plus all of the folks that's dying in custody in local jails people dying in custody in prisons but you know our, our finger is on the pulse of the reality of the truth and I guess folks are steady worried about if they can get if they're gonna be able to get them a patty pie. Yeah, that's um. Mm -mm. Yeah, this so guy. Let me see if I got this right, because I remember us reporting on this last year when he first was killed. Uh, the police killed a 17-year-old boy, shoot him 16 times, right? Unarmed teenager, and then after they kill him. They conspired together to go into the local Burger King, I think it was, and review the footage there, 85 minutes of footage. Yep. When they're done, the footage is all deleted. So now they've conspired to uh, eliminate evidence in a first-degree murder charge. 
but only one officer has turned himself in and is facing uh, charges now, and that's first-degree murder, only one, whereas this cover-up was being done by more than one officer, I would suspect that every single one of the four or five who went into the booking to delete these files should be held on the same charges. Well, that would be if you lived in, under a system based on justice. <laughs> we don't right. have that kind of system in the United States. We have one that is based on injustice. And the Chicago police have been corrupt for a very, very, very long time. They probably started out corrupt, you know. And um, so it also the uh, state attorney general, it's not the state attorney general, the state attorney for Cook County, Anita Alvarez, you know, she has been in there for a very long time. Um, she has also sought to deny new trials to uh, people who are in prison right now due to John Burge torture squad. Y'all remember him, right? Tortured all them people and to get them to confess right. the crimes that they didn't commit. Uh, yeah, so this, you know, when you got a corrupt prosecutor working hand in hand with the corrupt cops, these are the outcomes. Look, this woman sat on this this video. Had that's all the evidence she needed. Sat on this video for over a year, and only when a judge orders them to make the video public, oh, now all of a sudden you conclude your investigation after over a year, and then charge this cop with first-degree murder charges. You know, so I mean, nobody should be shocked by the, that this goes on. It probably goes on more than what we can. There are probably. A hundred or more uh, Laquan McDonald's cases just like that. In fact, I watched on TV today and I saw an article where this black man, and I gave him a salute. Let me go to Proxy Racism on Facebook so I can get his brother's name. I gave him a salute for not allowing himself to become a proxy tool of racism. If y'all give me just a second, I'll pull that story up for you. Uh, my computer's running a little, little slow. I got some things going on here. All right, let me just pull well, it up. Well, while you're looking that up, I'll just remind the folks that, like you said, there's hundreds of these same kind of cases year in, year out. One that stands out and comes to mind is the young brother, Dakota Bright. He was only 15. And the same damn thing. But there was no drugs found in his system. There was nothing that they ever said he actually did or anything. The police did the same thing. The boy was on his way home from school, walking through an alley on his way to his grandmother's house. Police shot him in the back, murdered him, walked up to him, shot him in the back of the head, killed him, execution style, left his body laying in the field behind his grandmother's house for four or five hours and did nothing about it. Arrested people that was coming out and protesting at the time and saying, you know, get this boy's body out of here. Make, make this a crime scene. You know, what happened? And people that was going off at the time, the local news was there and showed the police strapping folks up, shackling folks up, throwing them in a paddy wagon, taking them away. And to my knowledge, to this day, not a damn thing happened behind none of it. So that's all I'm trying to say, man, is that it's again and again, yeah, we get some of these cases that we're able to bring out and talk about, you know, unexplainable black deaths, uh, Malcolm X grassroots uh, organization. There's organized, uh, what is Cop Block? Um, it's, uh, what's the one that, that covers, that tries to get all of the name, or all of the cases that happen? This one on Facebook that started up a good page. 
that covers them day to day and tries to keep numbers on them too. There's all kinds of uh, social media and uh, grassroots. What is it? Go ahead. What was the name of it? Kill by police. Okay. Yeah. So there's all kinds of organizations that are trying to keep up. Yeah, they're trying to keep up with it, but uh, I mean, it's just like the people are some kind of way immune. And the like, Guardian. Yeah. Yeah, the Guardian is keeping up with it too, right? So I don't know what it's going to take for the people to recognize that. You know, like the, if you want to say Black Lives Matter, I mean, all of these lives matter, man. You, you just protest about one here and there and get upset, and you look like a puppet or a fool when you do that. When they know that you don't know the names of another 25, they did the same damn thing to. Yeah, but, you know, um, and anybody that that's out there in them streets yeah. has my utmost respect because uh, there are millions of them. They say there's 40 million black people in, out in it, I mean, in this country. There has not been 40 million black people, not even a million black people out in the street protesting these racist killings. You know, um, no. you know, The Guardian also um, in a recent article said that over 400 unarmed white people have been killed this year. And so I ain't, seen, I ain't seen 40 families of white unarmed white people killed by police out there in the street or holding a press conference. The only one I saw was the one in South Carolina. And, and what Zachary Hammond, I think his name was, was that victim's name. That teenage white boy who, who got killed by yes. the, and we saw that on video, you know what I'm saying? But his attorney, his family attorney wanted to attack Black Lives Matter. Well, initially. Like Black Lives Matter caused that, that boy to get killed by that police. Why you wanna attack, you know, wanna ask where the protests at for Zachary? Well, that's a good damn question. Where is all these white folks that live in his community that's upset about uh, these cops gunning down unarmed people over, you know, drugs, nonviolent so-called offenses when half the country, over half the country, have legalized cannabis in some form or fashion. But I, I was able to find the story. Uh, shout out to Lorenzo Davis. Go ahead, Max. You were about to say something? I, I just wanted to say, uh, let people know one of the reasons. Yeah, I just want to let people know that one of the main reasons that we focus on the police in this uh, program is because the police serve the same purpose now that they served in the 1800s as slave catchers. All of those people in those jails and prisons didn't walk in by themselves. Exactly. So, you That's got Mr. Laurent. I'm sorry. Right. We got Mr. Lorenzo. Yeah. I'm sorry. He told me I go to speak. I hear something. Uh, was somebody trying to? Speak? Oh no, no. Go ahead, brother. Uh, you got brother Lorenzo Davis out of Chicago, uh, according to MelanoidNation.org, and I did see this report on CNN tonight. No, it was MSNBC uh, with Chris. Uh, what's that guy that looks like uh, <laughs> the female? Uh, with his horn rim glasses, I can't Chris Hedges or something like that. Anyway, I saw I saw them talking about this tonight. Lorenzo Davis was fired for refusing to change reports that found that Chicago cops were at fault for shooting and killing black civilians. Davis is a former supervisor at the Independent Police Review Authority, the IPRA, and previously served 23 years with the Chicago Police Department. 
He investigated the shootings of six people in the past eight years and determined that police were not justified in any of those shootings. In three of those incidents, the people died. Bad shootings, David said. IPRA boss Scott Ando told Davis to reverse his findings, and when Davis refused, he was fired. Uh, Davis said he made it clear that supervisors that there serve at his pleasure. He doesn't have to have a reason to fire us. So I linked to this. Y'all can read the uh, rest of it. No, I think I posted this on Proxy Racism uh, on Facebook. Uh, but, you know, as I kept seeing President Obama and hearing him speaking on ISIS and what happened in Paris. And uh, look, man, we got terrorism going on right here in this domestic colony, as Johanan would say. And it's happening every day. It's resulting in hundreds. OK, not one or two. Not 10 or 20, but hundreds, hundreds. I think something like if we count the unarmed, just the unarmed people, all right, I think Guardian says something like 300 unarmed black people and 400 unarmed white people, and they didn't mention, you know, the unarmed Hispanics, but, I mean, we're close to a 1,000 unarmed people being killed every year by these terrorist thugs. And you want me to be more concerned about some dudes in the middle of the desert in Syria and Iraq, and you don't care. It's like you don't care about what is going on right here. You just had five Black Lives Matter protesters shot in Minneapolis for doing nothing more than expressing their First Amendment rights and calling out the police for another what looks to be another murder. And all you can talk about is some freaking ISIS. Like that brother in Nebraska said, the black brother who is a, 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 um, in the uh, House legislator for the state, a state legislator said, police are our ISIS. I'll leave it at that. Straight up. <clears throat> yep, that is our biggest problem right here in America is white racist supremacists infiltrating every level of our let's not put it all on white systems. people let's From not put police. it all on white people because i sure saw yeah. a black cop file filed the false report in the killing of that brother in south carolina so we got it and we just had well, a black cop white racist what's that mercenary. yeah paid, paid mercenaries that's all these negroes are is paid mercenaries that's it I mean, we just had one there down there in Alabama who I'm, I didn't even get to publish the article yet, but this brother down there in, in uh, Alabama that got attacked um, by, you know, those thug, uh, thugs uh, for Trump, I guess that's what we'll call them, uh, racist terrorists for Donald Trump when they attacked <laughs> that dude for expressing. You know, I mean, y'all could say he shouldn't have been in there shouting or whatnot or agitating and whatnot, but that's what the black police spokesman for the uh, Birmingham police said about him. Well, you know, we're not going to investigate this. He brought it on himself. He was agitating. We look at him as an agitator. And what is Donald Trump? Like, he ain't agitating these terrorists out here to be attacking people, you know? And so that's why, you know, I well, hesitate, you know, because... 
man, I, I'm just so tired of, of people not doing some introspection. And it's easy to put point at the white supremacy boogeyman. We know that they at the top of the pyramid. We know that they pulling all the strings and whatnot. We know they're a problem. But guess what? If we didn't have black people and other non-white people at the base of that pyramid supporting the top, then it would all come crumbling down. And I ain't giving nobody no pass. Well, when we look back over the history, which is what this program is all about, that's why we feature the abolitionists in profile every week. That's why we go back to the history books to substantiate all of our claims. We don't make no claims on this program based on emotion, on feelings, uh, none of that type of thing. We're giving you straight up facts that's backed up by, by the books, the history books, the letter of the law, uh, all of that. And that's why we know that the fact of the matter is, when, like Max mentioned, we bring police into the conversation because all the way back in the early 1600s, we know that was the beginning of the Boston uh, police force, which was uh, an extension of the early slave patrollers. There was the poor, out-of-work whites that was being replaced as the slaves in this new country as they were bringing more Africans in, 1620 Jonestown, South Carolina, when they started bringing slaves over here. All of a sudden, white folks couldn't even be slaves. They didn't have no job. So what they let them do? Get slaves. So as you go through 1600s, 1700s, 1800s, the laws that were on the books at those times, people, don't fool yourself and try to act like you're fooling anybody else when you ignore anti-misogenation laws while white folks is raping black women and creating an entire, uh, as they call it, mixed race, a mulatto race. Hundreds of thousands of mixed babies birthed every year while it's illegal to do such a thing as a result of all these rapes. When you talk about blacks can't work, blacks can't go here, blacks can't vote, blacks can't learn no trade, blacks can't learn to read, blacks cannot congregate, blacks can't walk in the middle of the street, can't walk next to the railroad track, can't be seen without a traveling pass. All these laws that were on the books, just take a second and think and ask yourself, who was enforcing the law? That's why we're talking about the police today. Because they've been doing the same shit they was doing then for the last 400, 500 years. They're doing it right now, the same thing. It could be the most BS crap law ever thought of, just like it was BS crap laws back in the 1600s and 1700s and 1800s. It's the same BS laws on the books right now. Prohibition of marijuana is one example. But they enforced those laws and they make sure they round up they round up slaves and they carry them to the Uzgal and they throw them in there and they make sure they don't get no justice and they make sure they go their ass straight on the jail and the prison. That's how they keep their jobs. So that's why we talk about the police here. Yeah, I mean you could do all the beautiful good things in the world. Uh you could ninety nine percent of your time could be spent doing great things. You could be getting kittens out of trees, rescuing people from fires that uh you know, they're uh giving mouth to mouth to the ninety year old woman who fell down and can't get up. Uh whatever you're doing all week long is wonderful, but you're still sending people to these prisons day in and day out for the most frivolous things. 
and uh, coming up with excuses about, I don't write the laws, I just enforce them. What the hell kind of excuse is that? At one point, you have to say, you know what? In 2014, 50% of all drug arrests were over marijuana. Now, I don't want to be a part of that anymore, particularly since other states are making hundreds of millions of dollars in profit. I no longer, as a policeman, am going to arrest anybody for marijuana laws, and I don't care what the state's laws is. Right, I if didn't you don't see like that. like it, fire me. That's the type of stand you got to take. Exactly. I mean, all you have to do is just act like and you I didn't see it. You, you just didn't see it, you know. Give them their citation. Don't be looking in their ashtray for a blunt or something like that. Or, you know, don't be sticking your nose in the car to try to say you smell weed so that you can then do a, you know, say you got probable cause and, and all that. Just stop. Just stop. That's all you have to do. Hey, we saw you do it in New York when you was doing it for the wrong reasons. You said, you know what? We don't like the mayor talking about he had to have a talk with his black son about these cops out here that kill you. So we are not going to do our job. We're on a work stoppage for an entire week. And yeah, do that. Do that. Do that. Okay. And then let's not, you know, in addition to their slave catching this highway robbery. The asset uh, forfeiture laws. People, we are not talking about the saviors of the universe or the guardians of your rights or or anything. We are talking about modern day slave catchers, modern day uh, robbers. These are criminals. And the only reason that I think they have. um, What's that? A report just came out recently saying that police have seized more assets than criminals have stolen. For the first time in recorded history in America, the police have actually robbed more people for more money than the criminals have through asset seizures. You don't even have to be convicted of a crime for them to just take your money. So... Anyway, um, I didn't mean to run on long there, but that's why we talk about the police on this program. There are no slaves without slave catchers. That's it. Nobody walks into prison on their own. Which actually, you know, there are some cops out there who are not part of this grand conspiracy. And the necker that we have up is an example of one of them who is calling it like he sees it. He knows exactly what's going on. And I don't think he's going to have a job much longer for what he has. Uh, well, told it you. depends on the people it's, that voted uh, him in. Yeah, I think we're jumping well, ahead, Max. I think we're jumping too far Are ahead. We? The next story is will the feds finally start tracking the true number of people killed? or shot by police in the United States. And, oh, okay, okay. Yeah. Well, so, so pull it on up, and, and, and we'll handle that one. Then. Yeah. I so, can take it. It's I know we it. was reporting on here a couple of weeks ago. Go and, ahead, uh, the Loretta Lynch was talking about how she's not going to require police to uh, uh, report all the minutiae of policing, which means that uh, she didn't see them killing people as worthy of reporting or something that they should write down. They killed, what color they were, where they came from, blah, 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 blah. All of that was unnecessary to her. So after a lot of uh, a flack that came her way after saying something so ridiculous and insulting and dangerous, 
apparently she's been changing her mind now. So what, well, what somebody happened? changed her mind or had 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 a sit down with her is what happened. She ain't just yeah, changed she, her mind. She came back and retracted that statement pretty much the next within the next couple of days. Because remember, we reported on that actually, um, like within the same day that she said that. Oh, you have a Man, what's that? You know, yeah, you're distorting pretty bad. Right? It's it's okay. Just, all right. Distortion. All right, go okay, ahead. Okay, yeah, but when she when she made the statement, it was on a on a Monday or a Tuesday, I believe, and we reported on it on Wednesday. And by Wednesday, she had already retracted that part of her statement, saying that she never meant to 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 make light, you know, of the truth. And she said, Manusha, she spoke she spoke incorrectly, and whatever, whatever. So. Um, at any rate, this is a story that uh, we're getting a report from the Daily Cause. Um, it says, uh, hundreds of deaths later, the feds will finally start tracking police shootings. In separate announcements, the FBI and the Department of Justice say they'll create programs to monitor police-involved shootings at the federal level. Law enforcement agencies are tasked with tallying their own officer-involved shootings, but after the officer-involved death of 18-year-old Michael Brown in Ferguson, it came to light that no government agency maintains a complete database of the national numbers. On Wednesday, FBI Director James B. Comey called it embarrassing and ridiculous that up until very recently, officials had made no concerted effort to track the sort of violence that has inspired national protests and the rise of the Black Lives Matter movement. Boy, they get applause. I mean, if you don't see how these folks is, is damn corporate America sponsored, they get applause for everything. It don't even matter. They, they they get a plug regardless. Okay, so now they inspired the Black Lives Matter movement too. Okay, on Monday, U.S. Attorney General Loretta Lynch made a similar declaration, saying that the Department of Justice will create an open source system that will track the number of people killed by police and and incorporate data on non-fatal shootings, civilian deaths while in police custody, and use of force by law enforcement. Calling the data now, she's calling that data vital. So we went from minutia to vital. She said that absence of a consistent mm. set of standards uh, makes it hard to see these trends, and that's why it's so important to focus on these numbers. Better late than never. So, I mean, there's a story, like it says, in the Daily Cause, and I'm sure we'll be able to get that posted on the uh, New Abolitionist uh, Radio already, Facebook. Yeah, yeah so well, there you have it. They said, uh, it said in the toward the end of the story, it said there's discrepancies among the databases that are up even now. It said the Washington Post put the number of people fatally shot by police this year at 759. The Guardian put the number at 800, uh, 891. And I remember, uh, 2012, um, around the time when I started with the Unexplainable Black Death page, that's when I met, <clears throat> excuse me, that's when I met Arlene Eisen. And uh, found out that her and uh, brother Cali Akuno was was working with Malcolm X Grassroots Movement to create the uh, 2012 report Operation Ghetto Storm, which was the first one that actually made the statement about one every 28 hours. And she was telling me about the research that she was having to do that covered not just the shooting um, that were occurring by the police, but also tracking what happened to people. Because, see, they get away with not reporting on a lot of these deaths that occur when people go to the hospital, when they show up to the hospital alive, they don't even have to report it as being a shooting that got them there. They just, they just let that story go. So she was going as deep 
is covering the stories and following up on the stories of people that were getting attacked by police that made it alive to the hospital and died days or maybe even a week or two afterward and including those numbers in the numbers for the year. And I that's where the one every 28 hours came from. Uh, I think the database, um, a lot of people like to, uh, to cite the Guardian, the UK-based newspaper, but Killed by Police dot net who we have actually had one of the uh founders of that database who who though they want to remain anonymous but we have had them on the program before and they have the in my opinion the most comprehensive list of numbers uh guardian the county is lowballing the figures man killed by police as of today as of yesterday has uh, the number listed at 1,072 people killed by police. Now, again, you know, as they say, we're not saying that all of these were unjustified. Um, I have seen some people who seem like they were trying to commit suicide by a cop or they got killed in the commission of violent crime. But hundreds of these, according to the Guardian, they identified about 300 unarmed black people, 400 unarmed white people. So that's the majority, that's the bulk of it right there is unarmed people. Unarmed people. So killed by police been tracking them and we're since, still since 2014. They didn't just start this year like the Guardian did. Uh, killed by police been doing this a long time. So, but here is the problem with her talking about other than the technical issues with the database. A database, a national database ain't that hard to keep. I used to work with databases when I was in the military, keeping track of the uh, skills qualification test scores of all the different soldiers in our battalion. And we enter those into a national database so that, you know, we can get, you know, uh, averages and stuff across the U.S. Army on how people were testing out, you know, in, in their jobs, uh, uh, skills, uh, depending upon, you know, their MOS separated by that. So it's not hard to create a national database. So them talking about, you know, having difficulties or, you know, this, look, it ain't that hard. It ain't that hard to create a national database. Uh, all the billions of dollars they like to waste. Come on now. Uh, I know some people they can hire. But anyway, Here's the thing, though. Without a law, a law, a federal law requiring them to, uh, uh, mandating them to report how many people they're shooting and 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 killing, um, and even if they don't die, they need to still report that. All right. And so with no law mandating that, the only law we have is that 1994 law from the Clinton administration, you know, that was bipartisan e effort to recommend to the police that they report this. That you don't have to, but we recommend. Well, what, what did you waste taxpayers' money and waste time passing a recommendation into law? This is a recommendation. This ain't no law saying in they ain't making no threats. Well, if you don't report this, you will not get any more federal goodies, any federal funds, which they shouldn't be getting in the first place. That is where they get all the money to prosecute the drug war and, and whatnot. You know, so this is garbage, man. They can set it up all they want to. Yeah, that's good. But if nobody is required to report it then what good is it you still not getting accurate figures they could go with what they got now and they're still missing a, 
they're missing a very large number of people that uh, are being killed in addition to ones that they're talking about. Um, I, I, I didn't okay, get that, um, Max. What they, yeah, this is echo going on. They, they're missing a large number of people who are being killed by law enforcement inside the prisons. They're not counting the people who die once they leave police custody and go into a prison guard custody. Just Florida alone has 346 deaths in their prisons. Just Florida. So if what, you were to add people who are being killed by guards in the prisons, you would double these numbers at least. Max, I'm telling you, I'm telling you now, you know, that's a separate that's a separate issue because they're no longer in police custody, but there should be a national database tracking deaths in jails and deaths in prisons. But, you know, this is focusing on how many people are being killed by these slave catchers. All right. And I would suggest to you that that 1,000 that killed by police has, that's probably five times that many could be killed by police because they're not all required to report. They're not reporting it. So, I mean, we ain't even got to throw in the prisons right. and the jails. We can just say for a fact that all the po the hundreds of police departments in this country are not reporting how many people they are killing. So these numbers are just an estimate, and they could be triple, quadruple, who knows? It could be a hundred times as much. I would think that you're right. That is probably at least double the numbers that we're hearing about because of lack of report. And again, you know, I just reiterate that this is all part of the same fraternity. Uh, we seen what happened with Sandra Bland. The cop was done with the prison guards got a hold of her and then she was dead. Right. Um, my bad. We overshot our, um, did we take our top of the break? Uh, hour? We're, we're over sure. time for commercial. All right. Yeah, we took it. Let's take our, our next break now, and we'll come back on the other side with the next story. You're listening to New Abolitionist Radio. We'll be right back. Are you searching for the best in online black radio? Then go to blacktalkradionetwork.com. Helping you filter through the noise. Real talk. Black talk. Welcome back to New Abolitionist Radio. Uh, we were just talking about how many people have been killed by police here in the United States just in 2015. The contrasting numbers ranging from 800 to 1100. As mentioning about the uh, murders that are happening once you get into the jails and prisons as well. So we're talking about several thousand people a year dying at the hand of law enforcement or uh, prison enforcement one way or another. And as Scotty said, not all of them are unjustifiable killings, we're sure. But even if just a quarter of them are murders, that is enough for us to make major changes in everything that we do. Now, 
there, there's another story that ties in all of this, and I was mentioning briefly earlier, where a sheriff has come out and called out, uh, you know, what's going on with his system there, where he's running this jail out in uh, Murfreesboro, Tennessee. Tennessee being the home of CCA, the largest prison in slavery in the, in the country. And the Rutherford County Sheriff is questioning the county's private for-profit probation system. Now, see, this is an octopus. It's got tendrils everywhere you look. The probation system is just as much a part of this slave system as everything else. Sheriff Robert Arnold said his jail is dangerously overcrowded. And these are words you don't use lightly. Dangerously overcrowded. And he pointed to the large number of nonviolent misdemeanor probation violators who are kept behind bars as the main reason for overcrowding. So it's not that they're arresting people left and right, they're violating people's probation left and right and putting them behind bars for the most frivolous reason. He says every, every one of them is three to a cell. Sheriff Arnold said as he walked through a female section of the jail. They were, now he's in a woman's section talking about three to uh, for every uh, cell. They were actually designed for one person. We had added an extra bunk and now are currently at three people. The third person in each cell sleeps on a mat beside the toilet. Sleeping with your head next to the toilet, to me, that's just not right, Arnold says. But the conditions we have right now, I don't have any other choices. See, that's a lie right there. you got a lot of choices. You just choose not to pick one. The jail's capacity is 958 inmates. On the day we visited, there were 1,037. Sheriff Arnold blamed the overcrowding on the county's misdemeanor probation system. Violation of probation is our biggest problem here in this, in this county, Arnold says. Rutherford County and its private for-profit probation company now face a federal lawsuit. The lawsuit claims nonviolent misdemeanor probationers are repeatedly jailed because of their poverty. Not because they're doing anything wrong, but because they're too poor to pay the fees and fines associated with a for-profit probation company. So, and, and, and they hold this over people's heads like a sort of Damocles, basically saying, you're either going to pay us this money that has nothing to do with your case, or we're going to violate you and put you back in jail. And that's exactly what they've been doing. Arnold would not talk about the lawsuit, but said hundreds of current inmates are in jail charged with misdemeanor probation violations. That's huge, Arnold said. This pod could be completely empty if they weren't here. He said, pointing to the cells around him. Inmate Alexander Webb said he is serving time because he missed his weekly probation meeting with the Providence Community Corrections, PCC. So there's the company right there. You can, we'll be looking that up. Providence Community Corrections, PCC. It was just a simple violation where I missed an appointment and they violated me for it and they gave me a 90-day sentence. So imagine you're on probation. You're trying to get your life turned around. You got a job. Maybe you missed the bus and you can't make it to the probation office. Please join Logan's run. And they send you right back to jail for 90 days. Now you done lost everything all over again. You lost your job. You lost your freedom. You lost whatever security you were trying to build back up, and you're right back to where you began at, again, over poverty. He is now one of the three yep. men in the cell. I was at work, Webb explained, of his probation violation. I work third shift, and I come home, 
and I overslept, and that's the way it was. So it was just that simple. Brother, work all night, come home, and oversleep. Who hasn't overslept and missed an appointment? But that was enough to send him back for 90 days. So there's more to this story. Uh, I'm going to play this video like report. $4,000 in debt. I'm going to play this video report from the oh, you uh, got local, a video you want? Yeah, local news station there. Um, in what is this? Murfreesboro, right, well, Tennessee? In yeah, Murfreesboro. Yes. In uh, Rutherford County, Tennessee. Murfreesboro. Now, Questions mind you, these probation companies are all across the country. In Atlanta, it's a plant. Company. They come from the sheriff, concerned about the number of nonviolent probation offenders behind bars. Our investigative reporter Ben Hall got an exclusive look inside the Rutherford County Jail. Ben? Oh, Rory, the sheriff says the jail is dangerously overcrowded. He blames the county's probation system. Our numbers have jumped up tremendously over the past uh, year. Take a tour of the Rutherford County Jail. Every one of them is three to a cell. And you see, it is run out of space. So these are cells meant for two people, but there are three in there. Yes, they were, they were actually designed for one. We added an extra bunk, and we are now currently at three people. Three to a cell means a mat goes right beside the toilet. To me, that's just not right. But it's just what the conditions that we have right now, I don't have any other choices. It's a pretty small room. Sheriff Robert Arnold blames the overcrowding on the county's misdemeanor probation system. Violation of probation is our biggest problem here in, in this county. As we've been reporting, the county and its private for-profit probation company are facing a federal lawsuit. It claims nonviolent misdemeanor probationers are repeatedly jailed because of their poverty. It was just a technical violation where I missed an appointment and then they violated me for it. They gave me a 90-day sentence on it. Alexander Webb says he missed his weekly appointment with Providence Community Corrections. He now serves his sentence with two other men in this cell. I work third shift and I come home and I overslept and that's the way it was. Webb says he was also behind on his payments to PCC. The lawsuit claims PCC threatens people with jail when they fall behind on the company's monthly supervision fees. Well, I'm like $4,000 debt still with them and I've been on it since last year. Lacey Jacobs is officially in jail for missing her probation meeting. She faces 10 months. But she was also behind on her PCC payments. At the end of your probation, if you're not paid off, you get put in jail. PCC and the county say people do not go to jail solely because they cannot afford court costs and fees. But Fred Robinson's arrest warrant lists only one reason he was arrested. He failed to pay all court costs, fines, and fees. Unable to pay the bond, he sat in jail. Jacob Tomberlin was arrested for failing to pay fees and because he did not complete court-ordered litter removal. But there's a $132 charge to sign up for litter removal. If you don't pay, you can't do it. His bond was $20,000. It's not supposed to be all about money or tying people up for long periods of time. It's to pay your debt to society. While Sheriff Arnold could not talk about the lawsuit, he is concerned that hundreds of current inmates are in jail charged with misdemeanor probation violations. That's huge. That's huge. I mean, this pod could be completely empty if they weren't here. But that's not all. News Channel 5 Investigates discovered just this year more than 400 people have been arrested, booked, and then released on their own recognizance for failing to pay court costs and fines to PCC. 
Most of the 400 people who turned themselves in were put on probation for another year. Oh, give me Bravo Slaughter. Which means more fees adds up and, adds up. and more chances to wind up in jail. So once you get into that rat wheel, it's very hard to get it out of that rat wheel. It costs the county about $1,200 for one inmate to spend 20 days in jail. It raises questions about the cost of the county's probation system. Really interesting inside look, Ben. When you were there, how many were actually on the floor? There were 95. That's how many people over capacity the jail was at that time. The county says its probation system follows state law, but can't say more because of the lawsuit. We've reached out to PCC, but they have not commented. Well, I put up the lawsuit story about PCC as well, so you can look at that on our new abolitionist radio page. Uh, this is happening all over the country. As I mentioned, in Georgia, it's a plague that made headline news, and it's an $80 million a year industry just in uh, the Georgia area alone. I don't know what it's worth in Tennessee, but this is happening all over the country. And these, if you're talking about 400 people in this county, Every county has got two, three, four, five, six hundred people in it for the same reasons. And it, like you said, it's a rat cage. You can't get out. Once you get yeah. into this poverty debt, imprisonment, poverty, imprisonment, poverty, how are you possibly going to get out unless you hit the lottery? And, and the vast majority of the, I know the people, y'all couldn't see the video, but the vast majority of the people in that jail look like the vast majority of the people in the jail in the county that I live in. White people. All right, white people, and you're being preyed upon just like, you know, not at the same levels in the same race, but in certain little rural areas, man, they being preyed upon, they being enslaved, they being robbed too. But I think that the media, the, and I'm talking about the corporate national media, they like to put a black face on this because they know the majority of white people have a lack of empathy. If they think it's only happening to black people, oh, we don't care. Them niggas deserve that. You know, they shouldn't have been smoking weed or they shouldn't have been walking while black or, or, or whatever. But when you start looking at in the, all these little jails and counties, see, they're not going to the prison. They going to the jails. They filling up the jails, man. And and mm -hmm. so you know, people need to wake up. People like you know, I heard I was listening to this hip hop artist today, and he was on his track saying it ain't a black or white thing. It's a wrong and right thing. And slavery and human trafficking is wrong, no matter. Who is happening to? That's the way I look at it as an abolitionist. I know that this is Black Talk Radio Network, and we tend to focus mainly on the problems that black people face under these con uh, conditions. But I'm here to tell you that it is happening to a whole hell of a lot of other people besides black people. And it's being, I feel like, purposely here for them so that they don't rise up against the system. I don't know. What's y'all thoughts on it? When I, when I had the discussion with the historian for the, uh, uh, I believe it was the Brotherhood Veterans, Confederate Veterans Brotherhood or something like that, and he was talking to me about, uh, you know, the common ground that we might have. That was the thing I pointed out to him, that like 30 or 40 percent of the people in the jails and prisons are white people. This is happening to you too, but because you're not black, because it happens more to 
uh, blacks and Hispanics, then you have that to point at and go, well, we're, at least we're not that bad. That much isn't happening to us. But if not for that single thing to point at, you would be in the streets right now. White people would be in the streets with that many people being enslaved. Well, guess who's, who's, guess whose pockets are being what? robbed to give to these private corporations? Everybody's being robbed. All the That's taxpayers. That's middle class primarily. Yeah, the taxpayers. Johanna, you was going to say something. No, no, I'm listening to what y'all got to say. I mean, of course, I agree with, with what I'm hearing. We we know it's a scam. One thing that did come to mind, though, is uh, when, we, when it was commenting about Georgia specifically is like when we covered in the uh, state constitution series last year, um, the state of Georgia with that contempt of court. <clears throat> Excuse me. With contempt of court being named in the state constitution as a reason to enslave a person, so I mean this is an example of that. If you don't fulfill the terms of the probation, meaning if you don't pay the, the money specifically, if you don't pay the money, you'll be held in contempt of court, and you can immediately be remanded into slavery. That's the state law. It's the state law. So people can act like what we're saying is a bunch of hot air or we just whining and complaining or we just in our feelings or whatever they want to say so they can justify ignoring it. But the bottom line is uh, contempt of court is in the Constitution. Right. Um, another thing that came to mind, I well, know... Um, this particular story is going even further. Right. I was uh, going to say that I know we said that uh, we were skipping our... Uh, Ferguson is America series, but damn it, Rutherford County. <laughs> Ferguson is Rutherford County. Ain't that what was going on in Ferguson? In and out the yeah. jail, shuffling them around, paying all the fees and the fines and the whatnot. And, and, and I don't know if they were using a private, you know, probation thing or, or whatnot, but still they were ge generating upwards of a million dollars annually, you know, in, uh, for that little city preying on the uh, majority of that uh, county, which were black people. But this is this is our America is Ferguson uh, story right there. <laughs> there it is right there. It, it goes even deeper, Scotty. Rutherford County, Ferguson, uh, uh, Tennessee is also using a for-profit drug testing company, and they're falsifying drugs in a system of what they're calling extortion. Basically, what these lawsuits are claiming is RICO charges. Uh, they are falsifying drug tests and using that to extort people. Now, we've said before, there are 14 states that have a program where if you provide a drug positive drug test or alcohol test, you get an extra uh, amount of money either in your own personal paycheck or in the department's uh, uh, fee that is yeah, passed amongst all the employees. One of the examples that we saw was Annie Dugan. Annie Dugan was using that, her and her cohorts. But they're doing the same thing in Rutherford County. Well, You can find that story at New Abolitionist Radio as well. Well, because we've been doing this program for a number of years and I literally probably covered thousands of stories. This isn't shocking to me, man. It, it really isn't shocking, uh, you know, but what really got me agitated, I don't know if y'all can tell, I'm a little bit more animated and agitated than I normally would be, but that 13th Amendment commemoration fraud 
that they gonna have it. They just set the tone for me for tonight, man. All of this is going on, and then on December the ninth, y'all gonna act like y'all really abolished slavery. Yeah, tell that to the people in the jails in Rutherford County. Right. Exactly. Well, we've been warning people for the longest time that they're moving from prisons to jails. That's the new thing now. To make it look like they've got less prisoners, they're putting them in jails. And they're making the jails more profitable. And they're funneling people in and out for shorter times. So rather than spending 30 years in prison, you spend five years in jail. And then your brother does it. And your son does it. And your father does it. And your neighbor does it. And they just shuffle you in and out like this man said. He was in for 90 days. He'll come out. He'll work for a year, and then they'll send him right back in to start from scratch. And, and, and all then over. he overslept. He works third shift, and I work third shift. I, that's my preferred shift. But he works third shift, so he had a job. It wasn't like you know he had a job. I'm sure they were taking payroll taxes out on him and whatnot. So he paying taxes and whatnot. And so you thought you know I'm sure he doesn't have a job now. I'm sure his supervisor on that job, oh, you went to jail? Well, I'm sorry. Well, I, I can't hold your job for you for 30 days till you come out, man. It don't work that way. So now he's going to come out. He's going to be unemployed. And, you know, uh, it's just, I mean, this is just ridiculous, man. It's just ridiculous. Damn. Causing people to get lose their one jobs. Of the, one of the statements they said. To go from being okay. paying taxes okay. To then to be in a tax burden as a prisoner. Well, also yeah, adding the things that they said in that report. Mm -hmm. Don't uh, don't. Yeah, I was gonna say don't forget to add in that this is the manifestation of the uh, talking that we hear on the transcripts. On the GO group, uh, quarterly meetings, the, the Corrections Corporation of America quarterly meetings, where they talk about the, uh, continuum of care programs that they're diversifying. They're going beyond just having private prisons and, and keeping, uh, immigrants in detention. They're going beyond that. Like we know the GO group owns a company that's named BI, which is the, the number one, uh, maker for ankle bracelets. This is always a part of what's incorporated into the probation and parole system that we're commenting on right now. These people are going back and forth to court and can't afford to pay the cost to rent the, the ankle bracelet month to month. Geo Group is getting, a, getting money out of that. When they give you uh, probation and they tell you you're going to have house arrest or you're going to have this monitor on you, it's $175 a month. And when you come to court, you're going to owe this this much and this much in fines, however many hundreds of dollars in fines and fees. Or like in the report, on, we heard the audio where it was saying that the person was sentenced to, uh, I think it was a trash cleanup. But you've got to pay a certain amount of money, $150, I think it said, to sign up to be on the trash cleanup crew. So if you can't pay, then you can't even participate in what they told you to do. So when we hear the private prison companies uh, speaking in their earnings reports, talking about the continuum of care and the way they're diversifying by offering halfway houses and work release programs. And we know that they own the uh, monitoring bracelet company. This is how modern-day slavery is rolling on strong, people. This is how it's rolling on strong. This is why me personally, why I tend to be hard 
on groups that want to take the spotlight and say that they're about reform, that they're about making a change or making a better way or things are really going to change because they get named in every single uh, story that has to do with somebody getting shot and killed by police. They get named as being a, a leading group in the activism and the activist uh, movements that's going on around the country. I call bullshit. You're not no leader in nothing. If you don't know the facts of the situation that you face, then how can you change it? So until we hear these groups speaking out against it, and instead of protesting down the middle of Main Street saying, oh, we mad and we ain't going to take it no more, we've already told you. Meet us at the Boca Raton headquarters where the groups, small groups have been doing over the years, catching George Zoli coming in and out of meetings. Like Scotty's always talking about catching these people as they call themselves, walking in and out of walking in and out of uh, the restaurant or whatever, catching these people and holding them accountable for what they're doing. Now you're gonna start being a real activist group when we catch these people and hold them accountable. I can't get any more disgusted by what I know about this system, <laughs> and. I, you know, when I was talking to those prosecutors last week and to my own community and trying to express to them what's going on, it seemed that they came to an understanding of how this all comes together. And hopefully something comes from that. They claim they're going to get professionals together and discuss this problem here in South Carolina. And, uh, you know, I'm here in South Carolina, so I'm working on my state. And I hope other people are doing the same thing in their states to try to get this conversation started. I pointed out to them that you can't fix this, like you just said, Johanan, if you don't know what it is. If you're treating it like it's something completely opposite of what it is, then you can't possibly solve yeah, the problem. Yeah. And, and the, the illustrate thing you have to do is accept the fact that this is slavery. And to illustrate that and point, then treat it accordingly. To illustrate that point, going back to the slave catchers, the modern slave catchers and whatnot, the police. When these groups say, well, we just need more people of color on the police force. I just want to reach through the television and just slap you a couple of times. Because I'm like, man, do you not know how many cop black cops are slave catchers? Huh? How many of these? I've seen one. And, and then he wasn't even talking about it in terms of abolitionists, but he was just talking about in terms of, you know, the bad cops beating up people and killing people and stuff like that. He ain't even talk about the slave catching that he engaged in and whatnot. But, you know, I mean, like, just say, oh, we need more people that look like us in the, in these positions. So we need more black slave catchers to go into the black community to catch black slaves. Is that really what you're saying? Because that is what you're saying, whether you know it or not. How many times have we? How many, how many well, times do we need to see these black politicians in Congress all line up behind a white supremacist enslaver like a Hillary Clinton? And you gonna say we need more black people in these offices? Cause it ain't done a bit of good. It ain't done nothing. Some of these people, some of these police commissioners in some of the most worst cities like Philadelphia. They have black commissioners, police commissioners. I told you about the, the black spokesman down there in Alabama who said that that Black Lives Matter dude was an agitator. 
And no, we ain't we ain't gonna investigate and and arrest the people, the mob that jumped on him and, and, and beat him up because he was agitating. And when you're agitating, you know, when you're saying political things like Black Lives Matter and whatnot, that's justification for these white folks to beat you up. That's a black dude that said that. A black cop that said that. How many times? KRS One twenty years ago was talking about black cops. Right. So the, to illustrate the point that you don't know what you're talking about because you ain't studied this system inside and out. When I hear you say, "Oh, we just need more black police officers," damn! Didn't you see that? Hear about that black cop that uh, wrote the false police report? Covering up the crime of, of, of what's his name, Michael Slager, who killed, uh, what's the black man name? They shot him in the back down there. Right. Uh, Mil uh, Milton. Scott. Walter, Walter Scott. Scott. Yeah. yeah. So you uh, apparently don't know. We don't need more cops, regardless of their color. We need less cops. We need to be laying these jokers off, man. Because they, you know, most of the people, as you heard that yeah, sheriff tell you, as you heard that sheriff tell you, most of those people, the majority of those people that was in that jail was in there for non-violent so-called drug offenses. If our goal is to free people from these prisons, these prison slavery, and we're talking upwards of a million plus people getting them out of prisons, then by default we must also be uh, in, invested in reducing the police population as well. If you don't have a million prisoners anymore and you're stopping all of this uh, constant arresting of people for the most fraudulent and ridiculous reasons, then we don't need all of these cops. What are we going to do with half the prison population gone, but just as many cops out there? They're just going to replace those people. So we have to get rid of the cops, too. We yeah, they're the most vile, despicable. I there's a million right now. They're leeches, man. They're leeches. Now, is there a role for police officers? Yes, there's a role for police officers, just like there's a role for firemen. But you're like not firemen. preventing any crimes whatsoever. You know, you're not committing any crimes. So what what is your purpose? What is your purpose out well, here to generate revenue for the state? Whether that is through tickets and fines or whether that is through creating slaves. So I uh, uh, man, uh, I'm 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 agitated tonight, man. We're, we're running a little late on our next on our last break for the evening. And uh when we come back after the break we wanna go into our uh uh, rider of the 21st Century Underground Railroad, and that's a hell of a story by itself. Uh, this week again, I'll take it, Johanna, give you a break. <laughs> You're listening to New Abolitionist Radio. We're talking about modern-day slavery and human trafficking, and we'll be right back on the other side of this break. This is Brother Elliot, host of Time for an Awakening, and you're listening to Black Talk Radio Network, new media for the new millennium.
there we go. That was quick. Welcome back to New Abolitionist Radio. Um, we're talking about slavery and human trafficking. Today we've been focusing on the enslavement part and the involvement of police in the enslavement part. We haven't really touched on the human trafficking, but if you look in our archives, believe me, we've talked about it in great detail. I uh, want to go into our next segment, which is our Rider of the 21st Century Underground Railroad. We don't have a north to freedom yet, but we do have a railroad that is getting people out of these prison cells who are innocent. And one of these men who was recently released, uh, let me just read the headlines for you. It says, man who spent 27 years in prison for rape and murder was framed by the cops. A man who spent 27 years wrongfully in prison for the rape and murder of a college co-ed was framed by Washington, D.C. police who acted improperly in the case against the man a jury found in a verdict that could cost the city millions. A federal jury Wednesday sided with Donald Eugene Gates, 64 years old, in a civil lawsuit making the district... making the district liable for damages for the first for the time he spent... I, I don't know what that is. Um, making the district liable for damages for the time he spent behind bars, the Associated Press reported. The Washington Post reported that the jury found two Metro homicide detectives concocted all or part of a confession that claims Gate made uh, to police informant. The inf investigators also withheld other evidence from Gates before he was convicted for the 1981 rape and murder of Georgetown University student Catherine Schilling, 21, the Washington Post wrote. Gates said Wednesday was one of the happiest days of my life, according to the AP. When uh, he was 30, Gates was arrested for the rape and murder of Schilling, who was found naked and shot five times in the head in a D.C. park. Uh, he had failed to appear in court on an unrelated case, and as part of a processing procedure, gave up a hair sample, which authorities at the time claimed were microscopically indistinguishable from hairs around the victim's body, according to the Innocence Project. A police informant identified by the Innocence Project as Gerald Mac. Smith, the snitch's name was Gerald Max Smith, claimed he and Gates were drinking in the park when Gates said he wanted to rob Schilling and killed her and when she, would, she, when she resisted. Smith would go on to make $1,300 for his help on the case. Police never revealed to the defense that Smith had two prior felony convictions. They also did not divulge that days before he made the false and condemning statement against Gates, Smith was indicted for a third felony. The indictment was dismissed after his assistance in the uh, Schilling investigation. So this dude was facing his third strike, which was brought in by the Clintons, looking at life in prison, and instead took a $1,300 paycheck and turned somebody in who never did a damn thing. In 1988, uh, Gates requested the DNA testing on the hairs. Initial results were inconclusive, but a 1997 internal review of the FBI lab found the lab report of the special agent tasked with examining the hair was not supported by his notes. 
Ten years later, Gates sought DNA testing again, and when the request was granted two years later, tests conducted found the semen sample found on Schilling did not match Gates, and he was eliminated as the killer and rapist. Gates was freed in 2009 when he received $75 and a bus ticket to Ohio. So after all of this you did to this man, you give him $75 and a bus ticket to Ohio after the 27 years of horror. Uh, this is what the Innocence Project wrote. He was granted a certificate of actual innocence in 2010. Wow, we got to have a certificate of actual innocence. Schilling's rapist and killer were eventually identified through the DNA profile of the semen to have worked at her office building. It was determined the man followed Schilling home when she left work, but by the time the real suspect was identified, he was already dead, the Innocence Project wrote. Jurors face no limit on how much money they can award Gates in compensatory damages. So he's looking to get like $16 million for 27 years of being framed by two bucks. Now the one thing I did not hear anything about in the story is any prosecution of the police at all. No naming of the police and no uh, intention to send them to jail for what they have done. And there you have it. Our rider of the 21st Century Underground Railroad Welcome home and welcome to Freedom, Brother Gates. Salute. Hope you live long enough to have some joy in your life. Because, I mean, there's a number of times we see these people get out. And then this thing, you know, they dead within a year. Yeah, we've well, seen that on a number of times, man. It's, it's, no, I was just going to say, I mean, it's. What you just said, we see it every week. That's why you reading the reading of the uh, this segment now and not me, because <laughs> I can't make it through reading it no more, man. And I, I can't even hide it. It's just ridiculous. And the fact of the matter, like you said, you mentioned the part in there where, okay, we see this so commonly in these cases that have been from the last fifteen, twenty, twenty-five years. Definitely, we see how. Uh, the uh, like the Clintons, the uh, the omnibus crime bill, the the, the mass incarceration uptick that uh, Bill Clinton oversaw, being the most incarcerating president in the history of America ever. I mean, ridiculous. But we see how that third three stri three strikes law has impacted so many of these innocent people's lives, where they put a put a snitch in the in the chair as a witness, and all they're trying to do is is stay out of prison for life on a third strike on a nonviolent charge. They set their own self in a lot of cases. So it's common, the people that are already facing three strikes and facing life on some BS charges to go ahead and implicate somebody else who's innocent of any charges so they can stay out of prison for life. So they send somebody else to prison for 20, 30, 40 years. So we see that this is how, when we're talking about the masses of people that are affected by all of these things, it's not some frivolous claim. It's not just some BS, we just want to complain about the, what the white man do to hold us down. I mean, it's not, come on, man. This is factual evidence that we're giving you week in, week out. When you just name two people who wasted time in prisons 
over nonviolent offenses in one case and no offense in the other case. But he was he was he was put in a position where he implicated an innocent person that lost twenty seven years, and now the taxpayers are on the hook for sixteen million dollars. Just like all the rest of these people that go and get million dollar settlements, they call that the what they say they call it the ghetto lottery or whatever. I mean, this is what slavery does. It costs us in human life, in man years, and in millions and millions of dollars. In every city in America, all across this country, year in, year out, 10, 15, 20 million dollars a year, they paying out in police abuse cases, wrongful imprisonment cases, and so forth. Come on. Sorry about that. I'm trying to pull up. The, uh... Contrary to popular belief. Go ahead, y'all. Oh, Contrary to popular belief where they say if you hadn't done anything wrong, you wouldn't be in prison. There was nothing this man could have did to prevent this. Nothing. He was right. called out by a snitch who lied and said he had something to do with that he never had anything at all to do with. So they just came and got him. It wasn't like he could have walked straight across the street instead of jaywalking. It wasn't like he was caught with a bunch of weed or coke in his pocket or he had just committed another crime and they would, you know, figure that he was close to the crime scene or whatever. He was just like a, a name out of a hat. They they got a snitch and they said, look, this is your third strike. We caught you with a $5 bag of weed. That's going to put you in prison for the rest of your life unless you tell us what you know about this murder. And dude was like, well, life? Um, that guy did it. <laughs> and they gave him details. And this is something we have heard over and over again. We've been doing this 21st century rider of the Underground Railroad now for about a year and a half. And every week it's a different person. So these are not isolated or just a few cases. We report on them every week for the past year and a half, at least. Well, it's not going to stop happening either. First century underground railroad. No, it's not, bro. It's not. And there's a lot of innocent people still in prison that haven't even gotten through the Innocence Project's uh, uh, period yet. A lot. Well, we know that Ken well, Thompson. Let's get on to our next segment. Well, let me, let me right. say this. Right. We, know Ken, we, we know Ken Thompson when he started doing uh, the uh, in, uh, what was it, Conviction Integrity Review. Back in 2013, we know that uh, the brother uh, Craig Watkins out of Dallas that, that actually started doing that in Dallas, I think it was 2009 or 2010, we know that these brothers had hundreds of cases that they were supposed to be reviewing. And Craig Watkins is not even in office anymore. He's not even the, the DA anymore. They got tired of him setting people free. And the same thing with Ken Thompson. He's got hundreds of cases that belong to retired Detective Louis Garcella alone. Just his cases is in the hundreds. So think of the thousands and thousands of people that's clamoring to get their name in that hat some kind of way. That's all. <laughs> I wonder what the relationship was between the for-profit prisons and the police in the 80s. I wonder what kind of relationship they had at that point, if there was some kind of incentive going on to get them to get uh, convictions no matter what. Well, we'll find out eventually. We research in this thing day in, day out, and the truth will come out. You know what, Max? Let me, uh, let me, let me, 
Can I say something and we can move on? But I think when you ask that question, the first thing that comes to mind for me is the, is the migration of labor. As we've talked about on this program before, when, the, uh, when they began to unravel the middle class and began to do away with the, uh, the traditional, you know, post-World War II uh, good-paying factory jobs, and we saw, you know, NAFTA come into play. We saw GATT, the GATT Treaty come into play. We saw that these international labor treaties were coming into play. That is the way that they began to move jobs offshore. And people didn't really have any way politically or even in their personal opinion. They didn't really know how to fight against what they saw legislation coming across that was getting rid of jobs, sending them overseas. They felt like they believed the media hype when the media was saying, well, this is going to make, you know, the price of goods even cheaper. This is going to make, you know, the price at the store uh, something more affordable for you. So people accepted it, but what they didn't realize, they were shipping those jobs offshore because their intention was to put them in the prisons. But they knew if somebody had a 15 18 20 $25 an hour job at the, at the factory in 1992, and Bill Clinton came out and said directly, look, I'm taking 100,000 jobs and I'm making them slave labor because I've got to show uh, a balance of the budget. I've got to show a profit in this country. I can't as long as all of y'all getting paid all this money. So I'm going to take the jobs and put them in the prison. He didn't do that. He sent them overseas and waited until nobody was looking at them. Oh, well, all the jobs are gone. Then he brought them back in. So when you ask what is the relationship in the 80s, between the law enforcement and the private prisons, I believe they all understood where we were headed as far as bringing them jobs back. So they start building private prisons to get ready for the, the inflow of people that wouldn't have jobs, of people that was living in neighborhoods that was getting flooded with illegal drugs that we know our government was bringing in and is still bringing into this country. They knew that all they had to do was wait and they was going to be getting a chance to eat, eat high on the hog. And we're still dealing with these kind of things now. This is not just theory. This is factual evidence we have of all of these things. Right. Guys, we got about 10 minutes. Um, we do have another program following us, and we still have uh, Sojourner Truth as our uh, abolitionist in profile. Yes, we, we did it once before. We're going to do it again. Uh, I just had a taste for Sojourner Truth today. Johanna, <laughs> uh, you want to handle our abolitionist in profile this week? I will have to pull the link up. I, you know, I got I'm not it. In I my... got it. I'll oh. do it. All right, Brother Scotty Reed's got it. Our abolitionist in profile is Sojourner Truth. Uh, she was a prominent abolitionist and women's rights activist born into slavery in New York State. She had at least three of her children sold away from her. After escaping slavery, Truth embraced in evangelical religion and became involved in moral reform and abolitionist work. She collected supplies for black regiments during the Civil War and immersed herself in advocating for free people during the Reconstruction period. Truth was a powerful and impassioned speaker whose legacy of feminism and racial equality still resonates today. She is perhaps best known for her stirring Ain't I a Woman speech delivered at a woman's convention 
in Ohio in 1851. An evangelist, abolitionist, and feminist, Sojourner Truth, who was born in 1797 and died in 1883, is remembered for her unschooled but remarkable voice raised in support of abolitionism, the freedmen, and women's rights. Tales of her aggressive platform style of her challenge to Frederick Douglass on the issue of violence against slavery, uh, Frederick is God dead, and of her burying her breast before a crew audience who had challenged her womanhood grace of uh, the pages of abolitionist lore. lore. Truth was six feet tall, blessed with a powerful voice, uh, and driven by deep religious conviction. Uh, Harriet Beecher Stowe, Stowe attested to Truth's personal magnetism, saying that she had never been conversant with anyone who had more of that silent and subtle power which we call personal presence than this woman. Uh, she was born of, of enslaved parents owned by a wealthy Dutch patron patroon in Ulster County, New York. Details of her early life remain cloudy. What is clear is that her name was Isabella and she served a household in New Paltz, New York from 1810 to 1827 where she bore some five children by a fellow enslaved African. At least two of her daughters and one son were sold away from her during the, these years. She would escape slavery in 1827, one year before mandatory emancipation in New York State by fleeing to a Quaker family, the Van Wagoners, whose name she took. She moved to New York City, worked as a domestic, became involved in moral reform, embraced evangelical religion, started her street corners preaching career, and eventually joined a utopian community in Sing Sing. Uh, during the Civil War, she tramped the roads of Michigan, collecting food and clothing for black regiments. She traveled to Washington, D.C., where she met with Abraham Lincoln at the White House and immersed herself in relief work for the free people. Uh, during Reconstruction, Truth barely supported herself by selling a narrative of her life as well as her shadows photographs of herself. She lent her unique skills to the women's suffrage movement and initiated a petition to uh, petition drive to obtain land for free people, even suggesting the ideal of a Negro state in the West. So I guess she was a, a black nationalist as well. Um, let's see. Her most important legacy is the tone and substance of her language. As an old woman, she stumped the country, providing emancipation with uh, eloquent epigraph. Give them land and an outset and have teachers learn them to read. Then they can be somebody. Few modern activists have better described politicians or the purpose of a petition drive than Truth did. Send tons of paper down to Washington for them spouters to chaw on. And when she was brutally knocked off of Washington's segregated streetcars, she denounced racism. It is hard for the old slave-holding spirit to die but it must die. She herself died of old age and ulcerated legs in 1883. Her funeral and burial in Battle Creek, Michigan was the largest that town had ever seen. Testimony to her hold on America's historical imagination. New Abolitionist Radio salutes Sojourner Truth. Salute. Salute. Truth. Now, what was she arguing with Frederick Douglass about? 
I got to look more into that. Uh, it seemed like, you know, not to take anything away <laughs> from, God from her great work, you know, but it seemed like she, you know, fell for that, you know, guy in the sky going to come down and save all these black folks from slavery and whatnot. And and uh, we know that uh, Frederick Douglass wasn't about that nonviolent stuff. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> I, I thought that was interesting. That's right. the first time I had heard well, of her in... Um, uh, Frederick getting into it about you know whether or not violence should be used to free enslaved people. Mm. Guys, well, we know th that the abolitionist movement then and now is very much uh, diverse. People right. are involved in every level doing what they can, and we don't always agree with each other on how we're going to get it done. But we do agree that it needs to die, just like she said. Yeah, that, that old slave spirit. spirit. It's hard to die. And it's still alive to this day. And that's what, we, you yeah. know, that's what's going on, man. Right. One thing that may have been a factor between them also. No, oh, uh, I was going to say one thing that may, be, may have been a factor between them also is similar to what we're dealing with even today is the, uh, the attempts to uh, take over and control the narrative. We know around the time that she became prominent, uh, Frederick Douglass, I'm sure, was uh, was kind of hip to what was going on in the attempt to, well, you know, with the Emancipation Proclamation itself, as he said, you know, being a fraud, as he began to move into uh, not getting duped, not getting fooled again. If I'm not mistaken, uh, uh, Sojourner Truth and, and some of the others that were uh, kind of pre-slavery, uh, making their moves, and then, you know, what do I do now after slavery is over, that time period, they were kind of getting folded, the women anyway, were kind of getting folded into the uh, women's suffrage movement. So I'm not knowing, I'm not saying that that's necessarily what was going on with them in this instance that we're talking about, but I could imagine there was some tension between uh, figures like Douglas and maybe some of the, those that were getting kind of caught into the suffrage movement because the, the suffrage movement, the move to get uh, white women basically the right to vote, was becoming folded into the abolitionist movement in that in that time post Civil War, so it, it kind of was an issue like we're facing even today. Well, we got a couple minutes well, for our final statement. We only got two minutes left, less than two minutes. So let's yeah, let's let's go into our final statements and say our goodbyes to the people until we see you again next week. I just wanted to say real quick, thank you to everybody that helped us in our move. We couldn't have done it without you. Literally, we went through everything we had to get to where we're at right now. So thank you, everybody that contributed to uh, our move after the flood. Brother Scotty, you want to finish this off? Um, Johanna? Oh, I, I don't have anything else, man. Y'all allowed me to speak my mind on the thing. Peace to the abolitionists, death to the oppressors. I still got my eyes wide open, and we're still out here doing what we got to do. Word. And I just want to say to Mitch McConnell, Paul Ryan, Nancy Pelosi, and Harry Reid that your 13th Amendment, 150th year commemoration is a stupendous fraud. And, and I'm just going to do everything I can to let you know and try to spoil your little party. Hey, Amen. I'm going to try to help you on that one, Scotty. I'm going to close it out by reading a quote from Bill Sherman, uh, and it's with a picture of me where the State House stood in South Carolina before it was burned down by Sherman's troops. And Sherman said then, 
the same problem that we have to deal with today. It's reflective of the same thing. He said this war differs from other wars in this particular. We are not fighting armies, but a hostile people and must make old and young, rich and poor, feel the hard hand of war. Bill Sherman. Remember, abolition is a reason for a revolution. So we can finally know some peace. Peace. Just lift your eyes up, let your wise rise up, see the signs of the times, if it's time, rise up, rise up. When death and hell dwell among all God's people, when those we chose and trusted have become completely corrupted and inherently evil, when the beast that feeds you starves our father's children, when snuff porn and pedo forms begin to get top billing, rise up.